The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, let me just share with you. There are a lot of people and a lot of movements that can give you something. There are all sorts of things going on in Christianity today. It looks like a circus, a circus offering certain aspects of Christianity, certain power, certain joy, certain life, so many things, so many gimmicks, so many promises, healing, prosperity, life as you want it, your best life now, absolutely everything is laid before you. What Jesus Christ lays before you is this. The promise of eternal life and a cross. What Jesus Christ lays before you is what really matters. And that is a character conformed to His image. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Life matters, and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, you've been going through the series of First Timothy. We are always talking out loud about what you're doing on Sunday morning in your sermon. So today is no exception. We're going to talk about First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. You had some interesting things to say, and you repeated the last two series of sermons about men having anger and sexual problems. Meanwhile, women have adornment or needs for attention. So why do you think men and women follow these two paths of behavior? Well, if I always like to go back to the root, I like to go back to the source. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us a lot about the condition of mankind. So you have a situation there where a man betrays a woman. Eve was created as something beautiful. When Adam saw her, he was smitten by her beauty, and yet he betrayed her. He sold her out, and he said to God, the reason why I sinned is because of this woman. It's her fault. And so there's a breach. There's something wrong in the relationship. And so he has this desire for her sexually, and that desire isn't fulfilled because the man doesn't do a good job of loving the woman. I counsel couples all the time, and I want to get to the root of it. What is the problem here? Why is there no sexual intimacy in the relationship? Well, because he doesn't really show love to me. He doesn't communicate with me. He doesn't talk when we're having a mealtime. And I say to him, do you understand what romance is? Romance and sex are different things. And you should be helping around the house. You should be cleaning. You should be helping with the meals, watching the children, all those kinds of things. Show her love. You can't just have sexual intimacy all the time. Otherwise, your wife just becomes an object. And so a lot of men don't know that. They don't know how to love their wives. They're expecting sexual intimacy. And when it doesn't happen, they get angry. We're filled with testosterone. And the act of sexual intercourse brings a a release. And we know this physically. Your brain fills with dopamine and you relax. And people who are involved in a healthy Mm -hmm. sexual relationship are literally physically, they're healthier. 
But when a man doesn't have that, his tendency is to go into anger. And there's other reasons for anger. He doesn't measure up. He had a father who was angry, and his father demonstrated anger all the time. And so the phrase is, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. He deals with his actions and his problems the same way that his father does. And, of course, we know as Christians we have to relearn how to think about things and react to things. We have to let the Holy Spirit take control of our lives. And yes, even in this area of sexual intimacy, the Holy Spirit has to be in control of us. And I see this sort of crossover back and forth. I think there is some interrelation, not not all of it, maybe not even the majority of it, this relationship between, say, sexual addiction and anger. But I do know that if there isn't sexual intimacy in the relationship, many times a man will turn to pornography, and that's not justified, or he will become angry and become frustrated. You think about a, a situation like in the United States today, more women have college educations. They mature earlier. Mm-hmm. That's always the, the case growing mm-hmm. up. Girls mature faster than boys. And so it'd be very easy for a wife to outwit her husband. He's immature. He overreacts. He needs more time to mature. And so they enter this relationship of marriage at the same time. And so you have one person who just is actually more immature than the other. And he hasn't had men speaking into his life and advising him and One of the things, I don't think it should be controversial, that people think it's controversial, that I say, when you raise a boy, you need to raise a boy with the intention that he's going to get married. Mm -hmm. Because most people are going to get married. Then I get this backlash. Well, some people are called to celibacy. I don't need to qualify everything. Most men are going to get married. And so it's the job of the parent, especially the father, to prepare his son for a lifelong relationship with a woman. And how does that, you know, what is God's plan? What is God's order? If we go back to order from First Timothy, what is God's plan of order in, in the relationship? So you did a good job in unpacking it for men. Unpack the woman's side. Why does she need the adornment or to gain attention? What's going on there? Because just like the man, the woman's relationship is often broken with her father and she has a father wound and so there's a need in her life for attention and how does she get attention it's how she adorns herself and so she might dress a little more provocatively in order to get the attention of a man and that attention can feel really good but we also understand that that attention can be dangerous and it can draw us into a relationship that can be abusive or harmful So what we want to teach our daughters is that they're beautiful and they're loved without that outward display of vanity. Not a word that we use very often, but it's basically I I have a need for attention and I don't know how I'm going to get attention. So I, I notice when I dress a certain way, men will talk to me, men will look at me, when will, men will say things about me. There's nothing wrong with a woman looking beautiful. My wife puts on makeup and makes herself look beautiful, and I appreciate that very much. But there's a fine line between beauty and vanity, and, and we have to be careful about it. It is a distraction for men in the church. And so Paul is saying, let's make sure that we're not distracting other people in the worship service. I also went in a little bit to the explanation about a woman and how she dresses and the cost of a dress for a woman in the Greek Greco-Roman Empire could be two or three years wages. It was a big deal when a woman walked into a church and she had a new dress on. It would really draw attention to her instead of what was the real purpose for which we are there. And the same thing can happen today if a person walks in. And I just say it's just a reality. If a woman 
is beautiful and she's standing behind a man he can't even see her there's like a sensory perception oh somewhere there's a beautiful woman in the world he just somehow knows maybe he's got some little antennas in the back of his head and he's going to look and i always tell men it's not the first look that'll get you it's the second look that's going to get you the whole idea happens to be with taking distractions and bringing them into the church that's really what you're after right more so than anything. Yeah, an issue of order, just so that the focus is on Christ. And that happened through all the churches. Every church seemed to have its point of distraction. So one of the interesting sidebars of your sermon was the fact that men and women have lost their vision of what it means to be a man or a woman. They have no identity, no true north. Men turn, as you said recently, just a moment ago, to sexual escapades, whether it's porn or some other form of sexual deviancy, and women to be provocative in their dress, trying to get that attention. So I was surprised by how you tie that in to women being silent in the church to learn without attention. That surprised me a little bit. This is not a traditional way how most churches interpret this passage of women being silent in the church. So tell me how you see it. I'm not going to claim that I have the market on the ultimate and final interpretation of this passage, because as I've said several times, more has been written about this passage, these seven verses here, 8 through 15, than any other passage in the scripture. There are a lot of different, but I think if I'm looking at the context properly, the message is that we want everyone not not just women, to be able to learn in an environment free of distraction. And you take, for example, the church in Corinth, how in the world, if everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time or prophesying at the same time, Paul says there has to be order in the church. Growing up in the Pentecostal church, there seemed to be this idea like the Holy Spirit has possessed my body and completely taken over. So I therefore I have to deliver this message right now. No, you don't, because God is a God of order. The opposite of that is Satan is the God of this world. He is a God of chaos. So they shouldn't have chaos in the church. It's not of the Lord. There should be order in the church. And there's a time for everything. You don't want to have everything so programmed that the Holy Spirit is programmed right out of the service. But there needs to be order. And the environment, the worship environment, needs to be free of distraction. There's also the possibility that Paul is telling women that in this culture, you really, it is more appropriate that you be silent because in most situations, women were not allowed into the learning environment. So maybe the church was outpacing the culture to a point where it was hurting its witness. I go back to the example of you enter into a Muslim country as a woman, you better have a hijab on your head or you're going to damage the witness of Christianity. You're going to give the impression that Christianity is full of loose women. And that's how the Muslim world views America. Well, I think that you have said throughout this series that the church in America is in decline, and you sort of qualify that by saying that because we don't have the order, and you also put a word called discipleship in there. We don't have the discipleship or the order of bringing people under the work of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about order in the church, you found that part of that order 
is mentoring the younger by the older so that there is order to their understanding of how to live out their Christian life. Talk to us a little bit about that mentorship process, because that is a key factor in growth. It is the responsibility of the older generation to raise up a new generation. And this is part of the problem that so many churches are dying because the older generation didn't do the job of raising up the new generation. What they did was they put the next generation under a youth pastor who was barely older than them and expected that somehow he would accomplish the goal of discipleship. And it didn't work. 80% of our evangelical youth are walking out of our churches never to return. Hmm. It's not that they're gone for a little while. They're gone for good. So what we're doing is not working. The scripture always has the answer and it recenters us. And how do we recenter on this issue of discipleship? It is an older, mature Christian that is discipling a younger Christian. And of course, sometimes people can be 60 years of age and be immature or 20 years of age and be mature. But there is something to be said for life experience. I've been there. I've seen this. It's one of the things I'm going to talk about this upcoming Sunday, that when it, we think of the concept of elder to the naked ear, it's, it's an old person, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not. That's not the intention of it. But just about every culture in the world has eldership. All across our planet, there's an idea that there are elders and we need to listen to the elders. And a lot of times when the, the culture gets away from that, the young people really go astray in, in a bad way. And that's part of our problem here is we're validating the opinions of 18-year-olds who have no life experience whatsoever because they heard something from a college professor and he brainwashed them. Mm -hmm. And the older people, the voice of reason, are saying, this is not good, this is not going to end well, but we just keep pressing ahead. So do you think that we don't make a good enough case for the young mind to be stimulated to say, that makes sense? Because their professors in secular universities and schools are making sense to them. Meanwhile, our information that comes out of God's Word, for some reason, either we're not teaching it well or what do you think is the problem? We have the cutting-edge part of knowledge and wisdom from the Word of God, yet it's not perceived that way. The secular mind is becoming more acceptable than the Christian mind. Why? It is because they hear the secular mind 99% of the time. And so they come into the church and it sounds offensive to them because I've never heard this before. My college professor warned me about this. He told me about these Christians, these Christians who oppress women and own slaves. And I remember when my daughter came home from high school, she was really mad one day. And she said, I said, what's wrong? She said, we had a candidate for Hennepin County Sheriff come into my high school. And one of the girls asked him, you're not a Christian, are you? Are you going to tell us that we're supposed to beat our wives and own slaves? That was her her perspective of what Christians are and what they do. And we don't we don't talk about that stuff in the church. We don't speak apologetically. No, this is what this is the context of the of early Christianity. So they just hear this Christianity is bad. Christianity is bad all the time. And yet I know and I believe with all my heart that wherever Christianity is lived the way it's supposed to be lived, there's nothing better. There's nothing more like it. 
Well, one of the verses where I think is very difficult that you handled this Sunday, out of First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, have to do with childbirth. It's a very difficult passage. It talks about that a woman will be saved through childbirth if she continued in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. You had a perspective that I thought was helpful, but it's very difficult to communicate. So why don't you give it a shot now? So you actually want me to repeat it because it's so complicated. <laughs> I don't even know if I could articulate it. Well, I, I had to process it in my mind and repeat it and say it over and over again to just get the idea. But I do think it has to do with identity. And I know there are others who would disagree with me about that subject, that the argument is against what I'm about to say is that it's really speaking to Eve and possibly even Mary, because it's a, in the Greek, it's the singular she. But really, I still think there's room to speak to women overall, that in the context of what was happening in the church in Ephesus. There were false teachers that were coming into the church and they were teaching that marriage is wrong. They were forbidding marriage. We know that from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And what Paul is saying is that it doesn't make you more spiritual to not marry. Sometimes it even seems that Paul conflicts himself. Like he'll say, it's good not to be married because you can devote yourself more to the gospel or it's good to be married because there's so much sexual morality in the church. Every man should have his wife and every wife should have her husband. It almost seems conflicting. Paul's point to me is neither route is going to make you more spiritual. Ultimately, it's good for a woman to embrace her identity in whatever role she may find herself. And like it or not, the thing that distinguishes a woman from a man most is childbearing. He also seems to be making reference back to the curse that was over Eve for pain in childbirth. He's not talking about that specific, but I think he's saying, and, and in contextually I am right on this, that the word he's using there, sozo, salvation or deliverance, is pointing to her ultimate and final salvation through Jesus Christ. So it's, we use the term eschatological. It is pointing to the future. When we talk about eschatology in the church, we're talking about the future of the church. So in the end, her future will wind up, she will experience salvation. And asceticism is not going to get her saved. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, to me, it's an identity issue. And it is very difficult to communicate that idea or that thought. So most of your series at, to this point is focused on order. And yet what is an enemy of order are distractions to move away from order. So when we talk about order in the church, and you've been doing that all along, this is the important part of a church is that we have order that we're going somewhere. We're going in the direction that God wants us to go. The Holy Spirit brings us order. The Word of God brings us order. So the church should have order. What's your final word on that? At the end of chapter one, God says, I want all people to be saved. And church at Ephesus, you're distracting from the gospel. The things that are happening in the church are embarrassing the church. You have division, you have bickering. The church is boasting, we're unified. We love each other. And yet, there are splits in the church, and there's arguments, and there's division, and that can't be because you're violating the purpose of order, which is to bring all people into relationship with God. And part of that, too, the church forgets that we're here to restore what is broken, and we're here to make things right. We're here to bring back to their intended purpose, whether it's marriage or the role of men or the role of women, because it all goes back to the end result, which is the advancement of the gospel. 
The first step in anything is knowing the truth. Knowing the truth about God is what we do in every podcast. The next step is yours and what you do about it. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cbcmpls.org.